I think most of us agree that we live in a busy world, a, a complex world, and, and I think when we, especially, it, it's, it plays itself out when you think of after Thanksgiving toward Christmas, isn't it? And uh, the things that are going on and uh, things you try to pencil in on your calendars. But I, I'm just wondering if at times we're not too busy. And I have uh, some words from a blog that I wrote uh, that I read here this week, and it said, "You may be too busy if." And then let's put that first one up on the screen. You can't remember what is next on your schedule. Now, have you ever been in a conversation where you come home at night and you go, "Oh, tomorrow night I got a free night," and then somebody in the family or a spouse or whatever goes, "No." You have this and you forgot about that. Anybody ever done that recently? But how many of you can, can think about just the schedules of your life and go, what are those things crowding out that you wish you could do? Well, let me go after another one. Number two, you might be too busy if you can no longer just relax. How about if you're addicted to action, to going, and you're going way too fast. And you actually feel guilty taking a break. Some of you might be there. And you have struggle being still. And you feel like, you know what, I just got to go. And you feel it's the adrenaline that you need. And you realize it's just not healthy. On top of that, I think in this category, some people look and they're busy and they look at other people who aren't and they go, you should be. You should be busy. But how about this one, number three? Almost every day is complex, is a complex multitask day. Any of you sitting there? Um, I don't know if you realize it, but there's a, uh, the, the movie theaters, AME Theaters, they have a new CEO that came here this year, and they are considering putting a zone at the movie theaters for texters. Okay, that need the text, and I suppose the lights are coming on that are bothering people. But it's a recognition here that people can't stay off their phones for more than an hour and a half and two hours or so. And the reality is, is that it's an issue. Uh, busyness can be an addiction, and, and we have to admit that technology actually can be its drug. I think we have to say that. But how about number four here? Maybe that hits the home a little bit too close. You have little to no time for God. See, we overstuff our calendars and something always will get squeezed out. And I think what happens most of the time, what gets squeezed out first, is the things which strengthen our relationship with God. We become too busy to pray, too busy to praise too busy to interact with God in any meaningful way. And you, and you think of all the events that take place that pull us away from worship, worshiping with the church family. Devotional and Bible reading opportunities get just kind of in the, in the get shuffled around. And, and okay, let's just, I'll put in a tape in the car and that's where I'll connect with God for just a few minutes. We're too busy. Well, the series that we're beginning today, the, the title of it is Make Room. Make Room. 
And we're going to try to be very practical today because there's lots of things when you think of this time of the year and, and how can we really focus on it. And one of the things that we want you to do is to have discussions with other people. And if, you're a fa- if you have a family in particular, I would love to have you take some of the questions we're going to throw out there and, and discuss them with your children. Over supper, you know, think of the next family night you're going to sit down. Could you take the questions out on Tuesday night and have a discussion? Now, you didn't catch that, did you? Next family night will be Tuesday night, huh? Um, Stephen, uh, Steve and Sarah have helped put a couple questions together. We're going to put those in the bulletin each week here. But let me give you the key point here for today. When we look at the pace and figuring out how to make room, the key concept in your notes, I said it this way, making room in our lives calls us to live lives of intentionality. Now, I know that there's two extremes to this in terms of on kind of on both ends of the spectrum. On one hand are those people who plan every second and every minute of the day and you write it actually down on the calendar and you feel so good by putting an X through that, that mark and you feel, ah, isn't that great? But here's the, the tension on this kind of a personality. You don't leave any room for margin in your lives for the unexpected and then there's those on the opposite end. You, you hear that word intentional and you just go, I don't like planning. I hate it. You despise a calendar and what you really want, you want freedom from any kind of planning. You want freedom from any kind of a calendar. And you don't want anybody telling you where to be or how, what you got to do at a certain time. But here's the deal. When you look at the triune God, when you look at God himself, he was one who planned. He had order. Creation itself is filled with order. And matter of fact, he even planned in rest. Get that. The Sabbath was planned. But Scripture speaks to God's planning as, as being intentional. And let me just throw up a verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, Very familiar verse to many of you. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, even God plans. The world wasn't created by the, oh, by the way, I think today I'm going to just make the earth. No, it wasn't that way. Matter of fact, when you think of salvation and you think of Christ on the cross, the reality is he planned that even before the creation of the world because he knew that there was going to be a fallen world. God plans. He's intentional. And at times, I think, in order for us to create margin in our lives, we must have some intentionality. But there's a piece that goes with it in the application, the first one there in your notes, I said it this way. We need to be living intentional lives, and to do that, it demands wisdom. See, living in a spiritual world in a spiritual way doesn't come naturally. The flesh pulls us away from that. And I don't think it's all that easy as well, just even, oh, I'm going to do it today. No, I think it's greater than that. 
but it's not even obvious. But let me show you one from Ephesians, a verse from Ephesians 5. Look at how it reads here. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That verse couples intentional planning with spiritual wisdom. And I think the challenge for us, if you were to think back uh, even into other times of Christmas, how many times do we stop and say, God, would you give me wisdom how to know how to live during this Christmas season? But I also got to add some side pieces here. Because we can get caught up in where we have this checklist of what we're supposed to do And we like crossing it off, but you recognize if you go down that path too hard, you understand it can create a type of legalism as well. See, the real issue is our hearts. What are the motives and the desires of our heart during this Christmas season and even beyond? Do they they not reflect some of the desires that we really want? And there's where we need to stop and really ask that question, God, is this wise? But let me me add another piece to the wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is is about planning and holding our plans loose and giving it to Christ. See, spiritual wisdom leaves room for God's plans, for he to to snatch them out of our hands and go, I'm going to change it on you. So we need to keep it loose and allow that God can can come in and intervene in our lives. Let me call us back to the season of Christmas that upon us. Is it possible, the way that we're living our lives, that we are leaving little room for some of the things that God desires in our lives, and especially at this Christmas season? And, And it could go beyond to the rest of the year as well. And you know what, if you're a young adult, if you're a teenager here today, I think this plans this, this applies to you as well. You understand the trend of being a high schooler and in school is that their lives are busier than ever before. Stats would say that all over the place. So the title of this series as we begin, Make Room, is that God is calling us to give some space, some margin in our lives beyond the normal calendar that we have beyond our family events, beyond the trips to grandpa and grandma. See, is God calling us to put aside again some of those desires that we have? And today I submit to you that God it is, it is inviting us to leave room for generosity. Now, let me define generosity here. Uh, it, obviously, it comes from the word generous, and let me put up a definition on the screen there. And, and here's what one source said, the definition of generous. The term generous denotes one who freely gives to others, one who is willing to share without expecting anything in return, without expecting to get something back from it. See, why are we, though, to open our lives? We are called to be generous people. And I think to step back and go, why? Well, I think the answer really is obvious. 
And I think it's this, that many of you know the answer. The reason we're to be generous is that God is the one who is most generous to us. We have a generous God. You think of his love for us, the generosity of that love. We love him because he first loved us. Generosity, our generosity, starts with a generous God and understanding that. But let me give you some verses here that I think that, that's showing the obvious even in his generosity. Look at James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you see here it connects wisdom again, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to him. Wisdom, what we need, if we lack it, it says he gives it to us overflowing with generosity and without finding fault. He doesn't put provisions on it. He gives it to us graciously. Look at another one, Ephesians 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Do you understand that every time God blesses his people, blesses his creation, that it comes out of his generous heart? His blessings is because of his generosity. You know, if we dug into Ephesians 1 there again, you would see in verse 6 the generosity of his grace. And if you went to verse 8, it talks about lavishing his redemption on us. He generously gives us redemption and the forgiveness of sins. But let me give you even another one, a little more practical, Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Prior to that, those verses, it's somebody that's struggling in life, and life is going hard. And here it talks about the generosity of God that every morning you can get up, and God will give you mercy, no matter what you're going through. See, we have a Heavenly Father who is incredibly generous. It's in His nature. It's a part of who he is. But what does it mean to us? It certainly doesn't mean that we're supposed to be tight-fisted and labeled Scrooges. See, it points ultimately, I think this, that our generosity is a response to God's generosity. And you've got to catch this, that ultimately when we are generous, when we have a spirit of generosity, it is worship. Generosity is about worship. We are to give our lives, and it reflects then the heart of God. But it pushes us farther. Look at application number two. I've got to go farther here. Because God uses our generosity to express his generosity. He gives us blessings. He pours things into our lives, and he's generous with us, but he doesn't want it to stop there. He wants it to flow through us and into other people. So when we are being generous, and we're doing it with those right motives and the right spirit, who is actually the generous one? It's God. He's through us, through somebody else. He uses us for his kingdom. 
But the, what this implies is generosity. And here's where I'm walking this line here today. Because the challenge is, how do you... Generosity isn't about making you feel guilty. Generosity is about understanding the heart of God. That he's generous. And we see this generosity as being a privilege. A privilege. And then he uses us and he channels his blessings through us. And folks, that is a profound privilege for us in our lives. Now, understand, here's where some people go. When you start talking about generosity, they, they almost go, is this a bait and switch thing? Ken, are you going to start talking about tithing? And some campaign that you got to give money to the church. And I go, nope, there's no ulterior motive here today at all. Understand that generosity freezes up to worship God. It allows God to set something free within us and to be a conduit for God. But let me give you another application here this morning. Number three, I said it this way. God invites us to make room to be generous with our money, our possessions, our time, our spiritual gifts, and our talents. Now, first, let me go after the money for a second. You realize that we know that money is a great blessing and it can be an incredible curse. You know, we live in a wealthy country. The blessings that we have because we have food on our table, we don't struggle with that very often. We have nice homes and we have apartments and beds that we sleep in. But we also know that the scriptures tell us that, you know what, money can be a bit of a curse. And one doesn't have to look far in the scriptures to know that with wealth comes warnings. And I want to show you a warning from 1 Timothy chapter 6 here. Look how it reads in verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, money can easily become the God which we serve. And and I think it's pretty universally true that we want to be viewed as generous I looked up, I didn't say this in the first service, but I looked up the most generous individual in the world. You know what you're going to find? Bill Gates. He's planning on giving, uh, what was it, 30-some billion dollars. Now, he's worth 86 billion or somewhere around on that figure. But do you realize for Bill Gates, it doesn't even pay, if he drops a $100 bill, it doesn't even pay for him to pick it up. It's a waste of time for him. But, but, but understand the challenge. He, I don't think he gives it out of worship. I'm pretty convinced of that. You see, in the reputation, what is our reputation of generosity? Do we view ourselves, are we proud that we're labeled as stingy? And I think if we are, boy, we need a little conversation with somebody. 
But let me show you another scripture in terms of the idea of being generous even to those that are in need. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. Look how it reads. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. The heart of a generous person but there's a, I, I think there's a nuance biblically that we don't quite catch here. In that generosity for us many times in our culture is this. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill all my desires. I'm going to take care of me first. And then if there's anything left over, I'll be generous with the leftovers of my life. And I go... Technically, that's not generous, the generosity that God is calling us to. I, I think there's an element of actually generosity that's being sacrificially done. See, generous giving is going to cost in other areas of the life. It's true of money. It's true of time. It's true of our possessions. Let me throw out an example. What if you only have one week of vacation a year? One paid week. Are you willing to give that up to go on a missions trip. Would you be willing to do that? That somebody else would be, God could use you as a channel for just one week if that's the only vacation we have. But let me even push it in the area of possessions. How about our possessions? Are we generous with our possessions? There's money and then there's our stuff. Let me show you a verse. A wee little man, you know who that is in the scriptures, Zacchaeus. Let me, Luke chapter 19. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone for anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now please understand that because he was giving to the poor, because of his, his generosity in one sense, that didn't earn him salvation. What had taken place in the heart of Zacchaeus here? It's just that he was beginning to realize that when he followed Jesus, there was a new way to live. He made Christ the Lord of his life, and the result of that is he was willing to give even his possessions away. His possessions. Just think of the garage sales that we have every year with our stuff. But let's go to another one, the generosity about time. And time, see, in order to serve others, it takes time. Now, I want to show you a verse, Ephesians 2.10. Look at this one. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in, and walk in them. There is no good works that does not take time. 
Can we just admit that? The activities to be involved in the kingdom of God take time. And I think we live in a culture where having money really is or it's really not the issue. See, the, the, the issue of generosity again starts in the heart. And what are we willing to do in an attitude of worship? And, and the greatest challenge, I think, is this. Our time is, has become more valuable than our money. I, I think it's true. And, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor... It gets frustrating at times that we're moving down that path because the temptation, as the church grows, there's a temptation that grows. And and the temptation goes like this. The bigger you get, there's more and more assumption with people that somebody else will spend the time doing that. Um, I was at, for this church, um, I was at Lakewood Free Church down in Baxter. And uh, when I got hired, we were a church of about 200 people. And, and I remember those first couple years, and, and we would have a work day at the church. And, and typically, it would, about 25 people would show up for a work day. We'd rake leaves, and fall and spring, you do the work day. And then Lakewood grew really fast and grew to a place where they were well past over 1,000 people on a weekend. And we would have a work day. And do you know how many people showed up? 25. Why? Because there's somebody else that's willing to spend the time to serve. And I think this, it's hard for people to be sacrificial and generous in their time, even more so than money. See, for time, the kingdom and the body of Christ in the 21st century, I don't think we view our time in the sense of first fruits, of giving to God time. I think we view our time as leftovers for God. You know, I think of some of the needs. You know, Steve still desperately needs a, another man to lead and mentor a small group of senior high boys. Sarah has needs in children's ministries. We need somebody to prepare another meal on Wednesday night. We need all kinds of, there's all, we need community group leaders or people wading into a group. But the issue is when you ask people over and over again, the issue is not money. It's going to cost me money. The cost is time. But there's even more than time. It's the very gifts and our talents that God has generously given to us. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That tells us that God has graced us generosity from God and he's given us abilities and even spiritual gifts and he goes, can, can we, I want you to use them for the kingdom of heaven. But I think it can be difficult here. And here's where I think where the challenge is for us. 
Of, of those five areas, time and money and possessions and talents and gifts, spiritual gifts, when we look at that, here's, I think, how we think. Well, I'm doing two out of five of those pretty well. See, I'm giving my money generously. I'm giving this generously. But, you know, two out of five, two out of five you're batting 400. It's pretty good in baseball. Do you understand how justification can set in? And the reality is that it still leaves holes when we justify. I think what, we, what it also keeps us from is seeing what's out there that God wants to use and to channel his generosity to us. We miss things. See, we're called to be generous in every area of, of those five areas. Do we catch that? Now, here's where I, I got to make it more practical even. You'll notice on the back of your sermon notes. First of all, parents, there's some discussion questions for you. And I would encourage you to sit down with your kids and have a conversation. And my hope is that you would begin to pray, even as a family. Do, even think of it as training your, your sons and your, your, your daughters in terms of how do you help them develop a spirit of generosity in their lives. So pray about it as, as a family. But let me just read through some of these suggestions. I found these off the internet here, and I added a few more at the bottom here. But number one there, how about to babysit first friends so that they can have a date night? You look at another marriage and you go, hey, they haven't been out in a while. I'm going to be generous and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to babysit for them. How about donating your, your company services or products? Like if you, you can do something well, if you cut hair, donate it to some that can't afford it. How about this number three? Giveaway. The next thing someone compliments you on. I, man, I love that gun that you have. You know, that snowmobile, man, that is so cool. <laughs> Pretty tough one, isn't it? How about schedule an hour every week to give away your time helping somebody? Pay for the car behind you in the drive-thru. Assist the co-worker in their responsibilities at work. Be generous at work. Take your neighbor's trash can in back from the street. Do somebody else's chores at home. Tell somebody, sell something you own and donate the, donate the proceeds. How about that one? Some of your garages are full, so full of stuff. And you go, why do you hang out? You haven't used it in years. Sell it and give it money away. Number 11, carry $20 in your pocket tomorrow and look for an opportunity to give it away. Offer to introduce your personal or professional network in your favorite charity. Connect somebody to somebody else. Uh, my son, two days, three days ago, this happened to him, Wednesday, it happened to him. A, a realtor in the area supports Andy, and, and the realtor goes, you know what, you need to come down and speak to my association. It's a whole big realty company. He went down to the cities on Wednesday night and presented to about 
15, 20 other realtors in the Minneapolis area. And then after hearing Andy, they they're agreed to pledge a, every time that a house sells, they're going to give toward his ministry. You catch how that works. Share your, 14, share your knowledge, your skill with someone who's never tried it. Invite someone new in the town to hang with you and your friends for an evening. And look around at church and say, hey, would you like to hang with us? Pay for someone's groceries for the holiday. Give up a week of vacation and use that money and give it to those in need. How about instead of running and spending $1,000 during that week, that we just stay home and you give that money away? Volunteer to become a reader in one of the school districts. How about that? Kids need adults in their lives. I'm guessing the schools would say, are you willing to help? Be generous in our time there. Adopt the family for Christmas and buy their Christmas gifts. So we're going to try to, next week, I'm hoping to have a couple organizations that you could actually call and actually adopt the family and help with Christmas gifts. How about this one, number 20? You don't have this, I don't think, on yours. Forego Christmas gifts to your spouse. Save you some money. But give, the, give that money to the food baskets for the Dominican Republic or for the food here or, or to somewhere else. Just agree that you guys don't, you know, Deanna doesn't need to buy me anything. Just You need to give it away. You catch how practical though these things can be? That God wants us to be a channel of his generosity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But as they're coming up, I got one more piece for you this morning. Here's what we want to do. A couple of years ago, we did this. And I, I've been looking for the right time to bring this back. The, the elder board also wants us to demonstrate our generosity as a church. And so what we've done is um, we have put together envelopes here. Now, we gave 12 of them away at the first service. There's 13 envelopes, and every, every envelope has a $100 bill in it, nice and crisp and fresh $100 bill. And what we want you to do is we would like invite you to come up and take one of these envelopes and to figure out, begin to pray and go, God, how can I be a conduit for God's generosity? This is seed money to go into the community that we could encourage somebody else with our generosity. And we want to use you and your God's conduit for it. And don't view it as you doing it. This is God doing it. Now, again, one of the things that we would ask you to do, there's a little, there's a little, uh, uh, little piece of paper in there. If you can just fill that out, if you take one of these, put it in the offering box out there in the, in the, on the ledge in the foyer there. We might want to use your just, I want to hear the stories of what you've done, what the Spirit of God has laid on your heart. Maybe even sometime we'll interview you or put you on a video and just say, here's how God worked and how God used me to be a channel of God's generosity. So what I want us to do is when we sing here, when we stand and sing, I would like people just to come up 
And, and we're inviting you to take the, the 13 envelopes that are up here. I gave away 12 at the last service. And if they don't go, um, the elders are going to use them for a Christmas party. No, we're not going to do that. So, But they need to all go, okay? So we want 13 family units here to, to take this. And we want God to use you. Or just If you're an individual, you can take it and just think and go, God, who can I be generous toward and make a difference in, the, in, their, in their lives? Let's stand and let's sing. One last comment. Maybe you're one here today that you don't know the generosity of God. You've never met him personally. You're really not aware of his love and what he wants to do in your life and the freedom that he wants to give you. And if you've never bowed before him and tasted of his generosity, I would invite you to come and talk to me today. Um, we have a father in heaven who is incredibly generous. And he was so generous, he sent his son to die for us. And we begin to celebrate that even over Christmas where he sends his son into the world because of his generosity. So see me. I would love to help you understand this God that we love. Let's pray.